0: You want to be real You want to be empty inside You want to be someone Laying down your pride You want to be someone someday Lay it all down before the king Oh yeah You want to be whole you want to have purpose inside, you want to have virtue, and purify your mind. You want to be set free today, and lay it all down before the King,
1: oh yeah. Good morning. Good to have you guys gathered here this morning. Just a couple of things as we begin uh, some of you saw the survey that went out. Uh, we are kind of looking and kind of thinking and kind of planning and maybe moving towards uh, having a Sunday morning on June the 7th and being in person, gathering here to worship. Uh, we're still up in the air in that. That's nothing and nothing solid, nothing in concrete yet. We're still planning and looking at the aspects of that. Uh, so far, it may be looking like we will do two services just so we can practice social distancing to the best of our ability and and seek to do that one at 9 and one at 1045. We still have some logistics to work out with that. And like I said, nothing set in stone. But if you could be in prayer for us and as we move that way and just ask for guidance and direction, that would be greatly appreciated. Just a couple of things this morning we want to be in prayer about. Hudson First Baptist is our church of the week, so we want to be in prayer for them and pray for their ministry. We also want to be in prayer for our daily bread and uh, Shepherd's Home. They are missionaries of the week, so remember them and pray for them as they go through this COVID virus thing as well. Uh, Continue to pray for Marta. She's having some heart function issues, so pray for her and that. And also remember Cam. Cam Smith is going in for his mouth surgery on Wednesday. They're going to begin that process on Wednesday. So pray for him that everything goes smoothly. Uh, Paul Hike did receive a phone call this week. And uh, he will be looking at going in for his procedure on May the 29th. He's uh, had a little bit of an infection here in May, so hopefully he'll be able to remain infection-free until May 29th, but that's the plan, so be in prayer for Paul in regards to that. And Sandra, we did mention her last week uh, and thought maybe she would have the baby last week uh, as of Saturday, but she didn't, and she waited until this week, and Madison was born this week. She is doing well, Sandra is doing well, and and Madison was able to come home this week, and so. All is well there, so thank you for praying for Sandra and for Madison as well. As we begin this morning, let's just have a word of prayer as we get ready. Father, we're grateful for this day, and Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity that we have to worship in this fashion and this way. Uh, Lord, it's not our normal, but Lord, we're grateful that we're able to do it this way. We do just pray for wisdom as we move forward in opening up. Lord, if June 7th's a date that would work, We pray you'd give us wisdom in that and and guide us and direct us and help us with the logistics of that. We do just continue to pray for our president, and pray for our governor as they make decisions moving forward, and we do just pray you'd give them wisdom, give them guidance and direction. We pray, Father, for Hudson First Baptist. We ask that you'd Be with that ministry, guide and direct there and open hearts and minds there, Lord. And we do just pray you'd help them to minister the community of Hudson. And Father, give them wisdom too as they minister through this time of the virus. We do pray for our daily bread and just think of that ministry. So grateful, Father, that we can have copies of our daily bread. So thankful for their radio broadcast and so thankful for the written word that they put out, Lord, and that has ministered to so many. And we just pray you'd continue to bless that ministry and use that ministry in that way. We pray for Shepherds Home. Thank you, Lord, for that ministry. We pray for them as they deal with the COVID virus as well. Just pray for guidance and direction and wisdom for them. We pray for Marta, continue to be with her and minister to her. And Lord, we do just pray for her heart function. Uh, Pray, Lord, that it would stabilize and, and not be decreasing. And we just pray you'd strengthen her and minister to her. We pray for Cam. Lord, we just pray that everything goes well on Wednesday. We know it's just the first leg of the journey for him. But we do just pray that that would go well. We pray that you'd be with Paul, and we do pray that he would remain infection-free here until the 29th, and Lord, we pray that that procedure would do what it needs to do, and so Lord, just minister to Paul. We do thank you for watching over Sandra, we thank you for the birth of Madison, and thank you that both mom and baby are doing well, and we do just pray, Father, for Ethan and Sandra as they minister to Madison as she grows, Uh, just pray, Lord, that they would be working the soil of her heart so that when Madison is old enough and she realizes her need for your son that she would receive your son as her lord and as her savior and so lord work in that small family and minister to this family as they continue to grow lord we're so thankful for who you are so thankful for your son jesus and just all that we have because of your son and it's in his name we pray amen
0: well good morning everyone welcome back again join us in our time of worship i that and exceeds our sin. that shines in all my life, Jesus is Lord. i oh. I'm <laughs> not i oh.
1: There was a man who wanted to sail around the world, and he wanted to sail around the world in luxury. So he spent 10 years of his life and his life savings building a 60-foot steel yacht. It weighed over 100 tons. The yacht was finally complete, and his plans were that he would sail around the world with his new, new yacht. So he invited the local band to come and play. And the whole town turned out to see this yacht. The band played, and the bottle of champagne was smashed across the bow, and the ship was lowered into the water. Unfortunately, the ship sank to the bottom of the harbor. What good is a beautiful boat that doesn't float? The man wasted 10 years of his life and his life savings to build nothing more. Than an anchor. What a waste. This morning, our journey through Genesis continues. And this morning, we arrive in Genesis chapter 36. And believe it or not, we're going to drop anchor right here in Genesis 36 and look at all 43 verses this morning. Genesis 36 traces for us the line of Esau. Jacob is now the patriarch. We saw him last week take the position of Of Patriarch in the line of promise. Esau is Jacob's brother, and he is not in that line of promise. But Moses traces out for us the line of Esau. And in chapter 36, we see what remains of Esau's life. And as we look at Esau's life unfold, as we see the genealogy of Esau here, there's a great number of lessons here. As we look at Esau and realize just how dangerous it is to live our life worried about worldly things and not worried about eternal things. As we dive into this passage this morning, there are four headings that we're going to use to kind of lead us through this. Verses 1 through 8, we see the sons of Esau. In verses 9 through 19, we see the grandsons of Esau. In verses 20 through 30, we see the sons of Seir. And in verses 31 through 43, we see the royal sons of Edom. Before we dive into this passage this morning, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. And Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to look into your word. And Lord, I pray that as we pause here in Genesis 36, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. I pray, Lord, that as we look at this chapter, Lord, that there would be some nuggets in here that you would give to us, that you would open for us, that we would see. And so, Lord, minister to our hearts, minister to our minds, and I pray, Lord, as we work through this list of names, Lord, that we would hear from you today. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. I pray, Lord, you'd give me the words to say, Help my tongue and my mind and my thoughts to work correctly. And Lord, I pray that we would hear from you today. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now as we begin here in Genesis chapter 36, we want to begin with verse 1. Genesis 36 verse 1. And in Genesis 36 verse 1 we see this. These are the generations of Esau. That is Edom. As we have made our journey through the book of Genesis so far, we have seen this expression eight times. These are the generations of. This is the ninth time that we've seen this. This phrase, marks for Moses, breaks in his narrative. We could look at these different breaks, the generations of, as his outline, as the points of his outline. Because as he's moved through here, we've seen... Moses shared the generations of creation, and he talked about creation. We saw the, gener- the generations of Adam, and we saw that go from Adam to Noah. We saw the generations of Noah, and it shared with us the story of Noah. We saw the generations of Noah and his sons, and that carried us through that. And so we've made that way and, you- and made this journey through Genesis, and we've seen that take place. And here we see it again and Genesis 36, verse 1. Now, as we've followed through our journey in Genesis, and we've come to some of these genealogies, when the genealogy is following the line of the Messiah, the genealogy moves down that line and continues to follow that line to the Messiah. When there are breaks off of that line, such as with Ishmael, uh, that line just goes out and stops. Moses doesn't follow that line very far, just a few generations, and it stops. And that's kind of the way each one of those has worked. But the line of the Messiah continues to move forward. And as we come to Esau, he's a line that steps off of the line of the Messiah and just makes a short venture and stops. And that's what Moses does here in chapter 36, is follow the line of Esau out to that stopping point. Now, there's something that's important for us to see here in verse 1. It says, these are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau is Edom. We saw this back in Genesis 25, verse 30. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. And it says, therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom. The word Edom means red, and so from that point on, Esau had this nickname or this thought of being Edom, and we see Esau carry that, and as we move through Genesis 36, Moses a number of times refers to Esau, that is Edom, Esau, that is Edom, and we see that a number of times through this. Now, as we think about Edom, as we think about Esau, there's a... There's a great reminder here that Esau, to become Edom, is a fulfillment of a promise. Genesis 25, verse 22, is where we saw this promise. It says, The children struggled together within her. This is Rebekah. And she said, it is, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Rebecca had twins within her womb, twin boys. And God told her that within her womb were two nations. Now we've seen that Jacob would go and his line would become the nation of Israel. His offspring would become the nation of Israel. We see the 12 tribes, his 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel and they become Israel. Esau's descendants would become the nation of Edom. So within her womb were in fact two nations the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom were in her womb. And so as we follow Genesis 36, we're reminded that this is the foundation. This is the beginning of the nation of Edom. Now look at verse 2. It says, Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Adah, the daughter of Alon, the Hittite, and Olibamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite and basemath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebeoth. Adah is the daughter of Elan. O oh, 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 Holibama is the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibian. Now as we move on later in this chapter, Anna is later named as a son, in verse 26, the son of Zibian. And so here we see daughter, but it is the son. Uh, Olibamah is the, is the daughter of Anna, uh, and Anna was her father. Basmath is Ishmael's daughter. Ishmael was Jacob's brother. Nebioth is Basemath's brother. As we look at this and as we see Basmath's brother, uh, Nebioth, being mentioned, it probably indicates to us that Ishmael had passed away when it came time for Esau to marry her. And so it was Nabioth that gave his sister away to uh, Esau. Now, the names of these wives, as we see them listed here, are different than what we saw back in Genesis 26, verse 34, when Esau first got married. Uh, Genesis 26, verse 34 says this, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife. And Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Now, as we see this being mentioned here, there, this has caused some speculation and some dilemma that's going on here. It's been suggested that Esau changed their names. Because Esau married these Canaanite women, it was very upsetting to his parents. Genesis 27, verse 46, we see this. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So Rebekah did not like her daughters-in-law. And as they were women from Canaan, both Rebekah and Isaac were opposed to these marriages. And so possibly what could have happened was uh, Esau renamed them so that it wouldn't be so offensive to his parents. That is one speculation. Now, another thing could have happened just over the years as these names were being recopied that some of those names were recopied different. That's a possibility. There's also a possibility where they could have had different names, have two names and follow one name in one area and another name in another area, and that's a possibility uh, as well. I mean, we have that in our own families, where our own family will call us one name, and then when we go out in public, they call us a different name. So that could possibly be what was going on as well. As we look at all of that, that's really not what's important here in this passage. What we see here is that one of Esau's wife was a Hittite, we see that another one of his wife wives was a Hivite, and we see that his other daughter was a daughter of Ishmael. These uh, two of them, the Hittite and the Hivite, would have been descendants of the Canaanites. We know that the Canaanites, Canaan was the grandson of Noah who was cursed because of Ham's sin, and so the Canaanite nation is a nation that has been cursed. And so for Esau to choose to marry from them, choosing to marry from the cursed people, was kind of a symbol of where Esau is in his relationship with God. Even though he's a patriarch, even though he's born uh, as a part of the line of the Messiah, he doesn't seek after God. He marries one from the Canaanites, marries two from the Canaanites, the women who were cursed. Now, verse 4 shares with us Esau's children. And Adah bore Esau, uh, and Adah bore to Esau, Eliphaz, Basemath bore Reul, and Holibamah bore Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. So Adah bore Eliphaz. Basemath bore Raul. Raul would be Ishmael's grandson. And Olibamah bore jeush and Jalem and Korah. And these were Esau's five children. And as we follow them, we see these five children, all of them born in Canaan, and all of them born to his three wives. Now, as Esau and Jacob are here in the Promised Land, We notice that it's time for Esau to move his possessions. Look at verse 6. It says, Then Esau took his wives, his sons, and his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. And he went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. We catch a glimpse here of the wealth that these two had accumulated. Now, some of that wealth would have been Isaac's handed down to them. But we've already seen Jacob's wealth as he left Padanaram and came back to the promised land. We've seen Esau reject that wealth because of the wealth that he had when Jacob tried to give him gifts. He told his brother, we have plenty, I have plenty. So we, are, we see here, and it's confirmed to us, just how wealthy these men are in the midst of this because they can't, they can't hang out together. They can no longer dwell together in the land. It's kind of a similar situation to what we saw with Lot and with Abraham. Their herdsmen couldn't get along because they couldn't find uh, the right place to pasture anymore and so there was difficulties between them and they chose to separate Jacob is the rightful heir to Isaac's possessions and so as he is staying here in the promised land it's clear that it's time for Esau to leave now look at verse 8 it says so Esau settled in the hill country Of Seir. Esau is Edom. We saw when Jacob and Esau had their reunion that Esau was heading to Seir. Now we read that Esau is settling in Seir. Esau may have been practicing the sojourning lifestyle, traveling from Canaan down to Seir and back as the pastures allowed. He made that journey. But now we see Esau is no longer going to be a sojourner. He's now going to settle down in Seir. That's where he's at. And again we read that Esau is Edom. It's almost like Moses or the Holy Spirit is trying to make a point about the nation of Edom. The Edomites would be an enemy that Israel would continue to face. And as you move through the book of Genesis, as you move through the Old Testament, we see that Israel and Edom continue to clash. Israel has a number of encounters with them, and the Scriptures are full of warnings directed to Edom that they would repent and turn and come to God. Those warnings are rejected. Obadiah, the book of Obadiah, is completely dedicated to the judgment that's going to come to the Edomites. So the Edomites are very much a part of the Old Testament. And here, as we come to Genesis 36, we see the roots of the Edomites. They are descendants of Esau. And this conflict would continue to rage and continue to go forward. In fact, there was a king that was a descendant of the Edomites that is very influential in the New Testament. His name is uh, Herod the Great. When Herod the Great heard that the king of the Jews was going to be born, he was very upset. And he went to Bethlehem and went nuts because of that. Because of the conflict between the Edomites and between the Jews, because of the conflict between Jacob and Esau, that's where this is deeply rooted in. Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, would kill John the Baptist and he would mock Jesus before the crucifixion. But it all begins here with Esau and Jacob. So there's the sons of Esau. We see them laid out for us in those first eight verses. Now we see the grandsons of Esau in verses 9 through 19. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau. Raul, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau. Again, we see this phrase, the generations of Esau, laid out here. Adah and Basemath and their sons are mentioned here in these two verses. Verses 11 and 12 lay out for us Esau's grandsons through Adah. The sons of Eliphaz were Taman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. So Eliphaz was Adah's son. Now we see Eliphaz's sons listed out here, which would have been uh, Adah's grandsons. Taman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Canaz are mentioned there. Now it's mentioned here as a side note that Temna, uh, or actually before I say that, uh, we see the sons of Eliphaz were Teman. In the book of Job, there is mention of a Temanite. And this Temanite's name is Eliphaz. Job 42 verse 7 says this: After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, "My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has." Eliphaz was a Temanite, was a Temanite, uh, possibly could have been named after his grandpa, but Temanite is the region here, where. Uh, Timon went and was relocated. So, as we think about this, this Timonite, Eliphaz, tried to give Job counsel, and God rebuked him because of his incorrect understanding of God. Boy, it's kind of an amazing thing when you think about that, that Esau, his grandfather, was one of the patriarchs that walked with God. It, a son of a patriarch that walked and spoke with God. But yet, two generations later, Eliphaz's grandson is is, uh, rebuked by God because of his incorrect understanding of who God is. Sometimes as grandparents, we don't think about our role with our grandchildren. We don't think about our role with our kids and raising them in a way that they would honor God. We don't think about that affecting our grandkids or our great-grandkids. We see this played out right here in Esau's life. Now let's look at verse 12. It says, Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. Timnah, the concubine, mentioned here, her son was Amalek. His descendants would be the the, uh, Amalekites. And the Amalekites would also be enemies of Israel. As we move through the book of the Old Testament, we see this enemy and this conflict taking place. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, when Israel is leaving Egypt and coming back to the promised land. Then Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Ephodim. So we see this, these nations coming from the line of Esau that are enemies of Israel, and they battle Israel throughout the Old Testament. In verse 13, we see Esau's grandsons through Raul. These are the sons of Raul, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, Mizah. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These would be Ishmael's great-grandsons, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. All of those are Ishmael's great-grandsons. Now, these grandsons, we don't see any further mention of them in Scripture. They are just mentioned right here. Verse 14 shares with us the sons of Oholibamah. These are the sons of Oholibamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. Now this is a repeat of what we see in verse 5. No mentions of their grandsons here. So as we come to this point, Esau has five sons and eleven grandsons. Now the chiefs of Eliphaz are mentioned in verses 15 and 16. It says, these are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau. The chiefs Taman, Omar, Zepho, Canaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. Now, Eliphaz's sons here are recognized as chiefs. Now, think about this. As Eliphaz had his kids, and as they began to grow their families, and they each had livestock, they had to separate to themselves as well. And as they separated, their dad was recognized as the head of the family. But as kids were born and Grandpa was still there, Grandpa was seen as the head of the family. And that became his tribe. And as the leader of that family, as the leader of that tribe, they became recognized as the chiefs of that tribe. And as we see Esau's family spread out, as we see Esau's family move out across to Edom, we see these groups of families become the tribes of Edom. And the, their heads or their leaders are seen as the chiefs. This is the same list that we saw before of the sons of Eliphaz. Now, we see the chiefs of Reuel in verse 17 These are the sons of Reuel Esau's son the chiefs Nahath Zerah Shammah, and Mizah these are the chiefs of Reuel in the land of Edom these are the sons of Basemath Esau's wife same list of grandsons as above all sons of Reuel Reuel is Basemath's son Now we see the ju- the chiefs of Oholibamah Esau, it says, these are the sons of Olibamah, Esau's wife, the chiefs Jehosh, Jalem, and Korah. These are the chiefs born of Olibamah, the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are, the, these are their chiefs. Again, we see this same list, and again, we see Esau, that is Edom. So that's the sons of Esau. We see the grandsons of Esau. Now we look to the sons of Seir. Now these are the people who are already living in Edom. It says in verse 20, These are the sons of Seir, the Horites, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, and Anah, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir, in the land of Edom. So we see here in Seir, uh, they are the Horites that are here. Esau's descendants would intermarry with the descendants of Seir. And Esau's people would become part of Seir's people, and that would become the nation of Edom. Seir's descendants are listed in verse 22. The sons of Lotan were Horai and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal. Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shapho, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aiah, Anna. He is the Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Anna, Deshan and, o- and Ohalibama. We've heard that name before, haven't we? This was Esau's wife. Oh Holibamal, the daughter of Anna. So here we see this already taking place, this uh, intermarrying and this mingle and this uh, going on with Esau and Seir. The intermarriage began here. These are the sons of Deshan in verse 26 Himdan, Eshbon, Ithran, and Sharon. These are the sons of Ezar Bilhan, Zavon, and Akan. These are the sons of Dishon, Uz, and Aran. So we see Timnah. She's mentioned here in verse 22, and we've seen her before as well. She is the concubine of Eliphaz. And we see them intermarrying and intermingling and become one. So the Hebrew line that was there in Esau is now mixed with the line of Seir, and they are known as the Edomites. We see that taking place here. I love this little nugget that's buried here in the middle of this. Just to give you a break from reading all of those names, we read that Anna was the one who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibi and his father. Don't we all have those little characteristics in our family? There's that one weird Uncle Harold. Uh, He's the one that drove the golf cart into the lake, and he's known as that one who drove the golf cart into the lake. We introduce him to the The new family members, this is Weird Uncle Harold. He's the one who drove the golf cart into the lake. Oh, that one, that's him. This is Ahan here, Uh, Anna. That's who he is. But that's buried here in the midst of this. Now look at verse 29. We see the chiefs of the Horites. These are the chiefs of the Horites. The chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibian, Anna, Deshaun, Ezer, Deshan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. The chiefs we saw in the family, they would be leaders of their own families and their own tribes. Elders within the family held that honor. So you see the sons of Esau. You see the grandsons of Esau. You see the sons of Seir. The last thing we see here are the royal sons of Edom. Look at verse 31. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom. Before any king reigned over the Israelites, now there's some discussion here that of the timing of Moses' writing. We remember when Moses was leading Israel out of Egypt. This was before Israel became a nation, and it was long before Israel had any kings. But it says here, "These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over Israelites." There have been promises that we've seen so far that from Abraham kings would be born. And so Moses shares here that, hey, Edom had kings before Israel had kings. In fact, while Israel was enslaved in Egypt, the kings of Edom were ruling. And there's a list of the kings here in verse 32. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, the name of his city being Dinabah. Bella died, and Jobab the son of Zerah of Bozrah reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad the son of Badad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place, the name of his city being Avith. Hadad died, and Samlah of Masra- Masraka reigned in his place. Samla died, and Shaul of Rehoboth on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shaul died, and Belhanan, the son of Ekebor, reigned in his place. Belhanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar reigned in his place. The name of his city is Powell. His wife's name was Mechtabal, the daughter of Matred daughter of Mezahab. Now these kings, as we look at them and as we see them, they rule in a similar way that Israel's, that the judges of Israel did in the book of Judges. It appears that they're over just small regions or cities or villages, and they rule over those areas. So those were the kings of Edom. Verse 40, we see the chiefs of Esau. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places, by their names. The chiefs, Timnah, Alva, Jeth, Jetheth, uh, Olibamah, Elah, Tinan, Kenaz, Taman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Aram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is, Esau, the father of Edom according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. Thus we have the history of Esau laid out for us here in this chapter. We see in this chapter and get an understanding of the founding of Edom. And in the midst of this, we see the origin of many nations, and some of them are mentioned here as we've moved through this passage. And so the origin of those nations are listed. And the origin of this nation that is in constant opposition to Israel is laid out here. And as we think about this brotherly struggle that took place between Esau and Jacob, we see that struggle continue as these two families grow and expand into nations. And so it helps us in our understanding of why they had so much conflict. Boy, as we look at Esau's life here, What a great life Esau led. It seems like a a great legacy that Esau had. Great wealth. He had offspring in high society. I mean, they became kings for crying out loud. He has his own nation. He is the father of his own nation. Esau would be declared a success at his high school reunion. People would look at him and say, That's Esau. We should have voted him most likely to succeed. You know, as you look at Esau, he was not his mom's favorite son, his favorite son of his dad, but not his mom's favorite son. We would think, Poor Esau. But Esau picked himself up by his bootstraps, so to speak, worked hard. Did great things with his life. It appears. Esau was the son of a patriarch. That has to have some notoriety. But unfortunately, as we look at Esau's life, as we look at Esau's descendants, we never see them embrace a relationship with God. Instead, we see them turn away from God, and go in the opposite direction of God. We don't even see Esau flirt with a relationship with God. He goes the opposite way, drifts away from that heritage. As I was reading this this week, there was a verse that I read that stuck out to me, and I've just been dwelling on it this week, and this would be our meditation verse for the week if I could get Joni to print a bulletin. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, sums up Esau's life. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. There you have it. The sons of Esau, the grandsons of Esau, the sons of Seir, and the royal sons of Edom. That is the genealogy of Esau. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our Sunday afternoon, to our Monday morning? I think the first thing we got to think about is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If everything finds its beginning in God, everything finds its beginning in God, how can we possibly come to an ending that's at a distance from God? If our beginning is in God, and if all of everything's beginning was in God, why would we dare drift away from that? But yet, that's the temptation that we face so often. That's where we find ourselves, drifting away from God. And so I want to encourage you, and I want to double-dog dare you, as you think about Esau, think about how he drifted away. And don't let that be said of us. Don't let that be said of us. As we think about Esau's life, I think there's a question we need to ask. What are we living for? What are we living for? Are we looking to gather these things of the world? Are we looking for worldly success where people in the world will say, man, that's amazing? Or are we looking for spiritual success so that one day when we stand before God, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Are we storing up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves don't take? Or are we storing up riches here on earth where, just like Esau's family, one day will come to an end. Esau is an example for us of the futility of storing up earthly treasures. He is an example of, for us of the futility of seeking out earthly recognition. At one time, Edom was a great nation. But the line of the Edomites no longer exists. Sure, they raised havoc for a little while. They sought to wipe out Christ. But they were unsuccessful. The line of the Messiah continued. The line of the Edomites stopped. But the line of the Messiah continues, Israel still exists. The descendants of Jacob still exist. The descendants of Esau no longer exist. What does that share with us? What reminder is that for us? We need to make sure that the things that we're doing are in line with God. We need to make sure that that's what we're seeking, that that's what we're looking to. Another thing that I looked and thought about this, chapter 36 is here, and it has some historical stuff in it for us, the birth of nations and stuff. But some of these names are never mentioned again in Scripture. This is where they come, and this is where they die, this is where they're listed but they are listed here forever. And God made sure that they were here in this chapter. Think about having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. These were unsaved men, men who weren't seeking after God. How much more special is it that us who seek after God, us who are children of God, God has our name written in the Lamb's book of life. If God cared so much about these unsaved heathens that he put them in the book, how much more does he care about us, his children, those whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Father, we thank you for Esau. We thank you for his life. We thank you for the lessons that we learned from his life. If we're seeking names for our own children, this chapter is probably not a chapter we'll spend much time in. But these names are here, listed for us. And Esau stands as as an example of someone who pursued the wrong kind of legacy. An example of someone who pursued after worldly things and seeking to profit from worldly things, but yet forfeited his soul. I pray, Father, that Esau would be a reminder of us, for us, that we wouldn't be men and women seeking to gain the whole world, but that we would be men and women seeking you, seeking after you, being careful not to forfeit our soul, but seeking to gain heaven. Lord, we thank you and we praise you today for who you are. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as I was thinking about our knees at nine this week, I wanted to challenge us to pray for one another, that we would strive for a legacy that lasts, that we wouldn't strive for a library named after us or a gymnasium named after us or a football field that's named after us. Let us be men and women who strive for a legacy that lasts for eternity.